You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for the 8th of June, 2021. Thank you all for tuning in. Wasn't sure if I'd be able to get this program done tonight. Um, Praise God that I was able to get through it. Uh, Today in our denomination, we had our our synod. So um, um, for those of you not Presbyterian, um, that's basically when all our elders from across the denomination get together, well, get together kind of um it was on zoom but i digress and um make you know exercising the keys basically and making uh decisions so um we did get together some of us in you know who are living nearby each other and things like that um yeah it's still hard to get buildings with uh covid and all that kind of thing and uh pray (laughs) pray that you know it'll be all over soon and uh we can kind of all of us return to normality and how are you all doing hopefully you are all are all doing well we're going to continue today in a program in case you're wondering what we're doing um we're going to continue on our critique from last week we were doing uh, covering that program from the unbelievable radio program with justin briley and there was that debate going on last week we covered uh the arguments of bishop robert barn rome catholic auxiliary bishop uh, basically stating that what he's presenting is not christianity now he was debating or what would you call it a debate it was an informal debate uh on that program um good evening everybody welcome um you can say hi if anybody's in the chat room in youtube if uh this just I, I've said this a couple of times. It might be annoying, but I'll say it again. Uh, you can listen at megiddoradio.com forward slash live, which is basically the, the sermon audio life. And also this at the same time also goes through YouTube. The, this is the kind of cool thing <laughs> that sermon audio are offering right now. You can uh, multi can multi stream. I suppose that's what you call it. And uh, I have not figured out. I'm doing something incredible. I'm I'm not. I'm missing something in Facebook. I can't get the Facebook going at the same time. Probably better. Probably too confusing doing about ten streams at once. But uh, welcome everybody. And if you're in the chat, say hi. And um, and if you've got questions, YouTube's probably the best place to do it. And if 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 you don't have the biggest fastest internet in the world, probably Sermon Audio is the best. I'm guessing uh, Sermon Audio tend to be very good at that kind of thing. And, you know, you tend to be able to use it anywhere in the world because they, they tend to make the the traffic kind of small and things like that. So anyway, so welcome. We're going to be, again, we're going to be doing the critique of Alex O'Connor, who is having that debate, informal debate with Bishop Robert Barron. And initially I wasn't going to do this, but I remember listening 
to it, what was it, a little bit over a week ago, making notes and things like that. And we, my own deconversion story, now I'm, I'm a Christian since I was 24 years old. I became born again by the, by the Spirit of God. Uh, I saw that I was a sinner. But for six years, I was a professing atheist. I say professing atheist because deep down I knew that God existed. And I was, as the Bible says, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And some of the things he was saying, I felt like I dealt with atheism a little bit in the program before, but not a lot. And I think it would probably help us to understand the mind of the person who is a professing atheist. I say professing atheist because deep down they know that God exists because they've been creating God's image. There's evidence for God all around them in creation. Um, before you even get into the whole prophetic evidence of from the Old Testament of Jesus, you know, dying and rising again and where he would live, etc. and so on, hundreds of them in, in the old before you even get to that, before you even get to the predictive prophecy element of scripture, which shows that this is the word of God, not anything else. Okay. You know, and it's not just the heavens declare the glory of a God or some creator somewhere. The heavens declare the glory of God. And that's at the beginning of Psalm 19. That's important. We know that they're really, they're surrounded by this evidence, atheists. All people are. And it's whether they will fight against that or not. And that's really the, the difference between the two. Now, we started something on this program where we were reading through scripture at the beginning. I like it because, and I'm going to keep it going. We're going through the Psalms. I'm just going to read the beginning of Psalm 35 today. Um, began at the beginning of lockdown and all this kind of thing with COVID and everything else. Um, and I felt that, you know, people were suffering, people were going through things that more than ever, they needed the word of God. And, and throughout this whole thing, it should draw us closer to God, regardless of what your views are. I'm almost, I have my own views. I, I think this, <laughs> I think the safetyism and lockdown nonsense has gone on way too long. Um, you know, if you've listened to the program long enough, I was pretty supportive of the initial things, but it's gone on so long that it's, it's become ridiculous. And now things have to return to normal before we do even more damage than what we've done to people's psychological health, um, economic health. Um, that's going to come back to bite us some bit. But regardless of your views, I mean, there's something even more important than that, and that's our unit, that's our, our bond together as believers in Jesus Christ. Um, we ought to be one. Brothers aren't going to agree on different things like this, and and in cases like that, we need to lead by example, not by taking chunks out of each other. Um, and, and by singing, not just even reading the Psalms, we should read the Psalms, pray over the Psalms, meditate upon the Psalms, but also sing the Psalms. It will bless you. You may not have the same conviction I have and uh, the denomination I'm part of, that we should, in worship, only sing the Psalms. But regardless of that, are you telling me that you cannot be blessed and edified by singing? 
the Psalms. And singing the Psalms isn't some, this is a hymn book. The 150 Psalms are a hymn book. Really, they're psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Some of the some of them are called hymns. Some of them are called spiritual songs. Um, you know, before you even get into Colossians three sixteen and all this kind of stuff, and and the the verse uh, in Ephesians five. Before you even get into all of that, that was the hymnal of the early church, the the first century church. Everybody that I can see acknowledges that it was sung for hundreds of years in the early church, a cappella. This was what they sung. And before you even get on to what we can sing or can sing, obviously it's important because it's strange fire. Look at you know Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 3 with Nadab and Abihu. Strange fire is an important issue. It's not just a, an Old Testament idea. Of course, we're not strange fire, like as in something God has not commanded us to offer him in worship. Um, Cain and Abel, there's a difference between them two as well, based upon something that was commanded by God, or in this case, and by example, and something that was not. What, whatever you think, you will be blessed and built up and encouraged and helped in difficulty by singing through the Psalms. Sing it by yourself. Sing it with your family. Introduce it into family worship, whatever the case may be, but sing the Psalms. Okay, Psalm 35, verses, we'll just read from verses 1 to 8, and uh, by God's grace, hopefully we'll uh, bless those listening. We'll pray before we begin. Father, Lord in heaven, please bless the reading of your precious, holy, and infallible word. May your face shine upon us. Help us, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 of Psalm 35. Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. Also, draw out the spear and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those who... Let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. Let those be turned back and brought to confusion who plot my hurt. Let them be like chaff before the wind. And let the angel of the Lord chase them. And let their way be dark and slippery. And let the angel of the Lord pursue them. For without cause they have hidden their net for me in a pit which they have dug without cause for my life, let destruction come upon him unexpectedly, and let his net that he has hidden catch himself into the very destruction. Let him fall, and my soul be joyful in the Lord, and it shall rejoice in his salvation. Then verse 27, just to the end of the psalm here, let them shout for joy and be glad, who favor my righteous cause, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. May God bless his word. Um, if you remember anything else, and I, I really like doing this, and remember 
somebody said to me before that they liked the reading of the Psalms and stuff like that at the beginning of the program because it just, it anchors you. So before we go into this critique, we are thinking of those who fight against us, those who wish to do us harm, that the Lord would vindicate us, the Lord will defend us, and that we would rejoice in him. And if we're, if we're wronged in any way by anybody in any situation, that we would run to him. Now, this may look like it's rain, fire upon all those we don't like. That's not what it is. It's about justice. It's about vindication. It's about those who wish to bring me harm. They'll be shown to be who they are. And even in the midst of judgment, may the Lord bring them to him, that they will bow the knee to him. I mean, the truth, I mean, his saints be vindicated. It's all about really the Lord who is the avenger of his people. And it should stir up our hearts as we as we deal with any of these topics. So, <laughs> yeah, um, brother in the Lord, um, put hashtag safety kills in in the YouTube chat, and I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Um, yeah, uh, you know what? I you know there was a program I was going to do weeks ago on just this constant safetyism that we're seeing all across society. But can I be honest? I, I think we just, while it is frustrating, I get the frustration, eventually people will they'll figure it out, hopefully. Hopefully, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm maybe I'm too naive. Maybe I'm too optimistic about the future. But what we don't want sticking around. Uh, something will replace this virus. Something the media will bring something else to terrorize people about. Oh, be afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. And you know what? More often than not, God's church will eventually it'll click. It may not click as fast as we would like, but it will click. And what we've got to make sure is that within the churches, the ill feeling of groups that disagree with each other doesn't remain. Whatever our views are. And as Christians, we've got to exemplify forgiveness and really strive to be one at this time. Yeah, I really just think we should get back to normal and move on with life and do... But I think... <laughs> I think a time is coming where we won't have the option. This is just my own opinion. Of what's gonna? We won't have the option to safetyism because we're stuck in our homes and the economy's um, <laughs> the economy's in trouble in different countries, and that's the world's going to change. But remember this much: the Lord is in control. It's not a time for worrying. It's a time for confidence in the Lord our God. Now. Let's get on to our critique. Um, so for those who are looking for this, um, I actually did forget to put this in the show notes last week. Bishop Byrne and Alex O'Connor, Cosmic Skeptic, Christianity or Atheism. This is a program on the Unbelievable Radio. That's the actual name of the program, Unbelievable Radio. I'm not saying it's a, an unbelievable program or anything. Um, 
unbelievable question mark program, Justin Briley. It's it's here in the UK. Um, I have not come across a ton of his stuff. Little bits here and there over the years. Seems like a great host. Let's let's the people talk. But I had an issue with how they were presenting Christianity because it wasn't Christianity that they were presenting. What Bishop Barn, Robert Barn, of is a word on fire. Um, that kind of TV, and you can see how he's so popular. He's he's well, you know, he's he's at ease with speaking and answering questions and all that kind of thing. But what he's presenting is not Christianity. It may intellectually satisfy you, but it demands nothing from you. It doesn't demand repentance, and it doesn't demand anything. That's why this kind of stuff is so popular. So 15 minutes into this program on the Unbelievable Radio Show, again, this uh, Robert Barn and Alex O'Connor uh, on this program. Alex O'Connor, who is, he looks young. I don't want to be, I don't know, maybe he's in his early 20s or something like that. I don't know what age he is. Um, but, and I'm not, tr and in case Alex is listening to this, when I talk about the folly of atheism, I'm not saying that he, this young man, this is like, I feel like an old guy when I say that sometimes, but this, that you are in any way stupid or anything like that. No, there's, there's plenty of atheists around the world who would run rings around me intellectually. The folly of atheism has got to do with what it denies and the absurdities it gets into in denying the existence of God. D debating the existence of God. I'm not against the arguments, by the way, in older Reformed works. You'd see older Reformed theologies from the Reformation era of 16th, 17th century, and even a bit later. We'll talk about proofs of God and uh, from the light of nature and things like that, and it's all legitimate and and really it should convict the atheists more and more, you know, to see around the heavens declare the glory of God and that they're suppressing the truth. The evidence is there. They're just suppressing what is right in front of them because they're in darkness and they love the darkness, not the light. They don't like the light, so they, they fight against the light. But he gives a decon... He gives a... What's called a deconversion story and um, there's some similarities to my own story. I'm not... Again, I'm not trying to... I hope if any atheist is this, I am not, this is not my intention in any way, shape or form to be patronizing or any way like that. I was an atheist. I know what it's like. My problem as an atheist was not that I didn't have evidence of God. My problem as an atheist is I hated God. And so I pretended he didn't exist. That was my problem. Not the evidence. And I'm not saying that you, you know, the whole, I, you know, when it comes to apologetics, I'm not presuppositional. I'm more the classic old, school, you know, Turton, read Turton and volume one and he's a uh, institutes of elenctic theology. And that's my view. I think he's probably the best guy he ever laid it out in my opinion. Um, there's a place for it and all that, but the atheist problem is not intellectual. And again, some of these guys are, are smart. They're brilliant in many different areas. But when it comes to spiritual matters, they're fools. And because they're, they're fools in this area, they'll also be absurd in many areas. So let's, uh, let's begin the critique. 
listening to Alex O'Connor? For doing so, you know, I was, I was fairly devout as a child. Uh, a lot of people have a deconversion story, like uh, my, my own dad had a deconversion story from when he was much younger, when his own dad died. And when that happened, he just essentially immediately concluded that there is no God. Interestingly, some people do the exact opposite. When a loved one dies, they cling to religion because that's, that's one way that they uh, kind of cope with the thing that they're facing. For me, there was no kind of singular event that happened that made me say, I no longer believe this. It was more a realization. And I, and I sympathize with people who go through obviously there was a traumatic experience in my youth um that eventually led to my atheism i could say because i'll give you i don't want to make it all about me but this happens to a lot of people something bad happens to them and what they blame god but you also have to you should only really be angry with god if you are a good person and you deserve great things from god and he has fallen through the thing about it is we're sinners and we don't deserve anything. We deserve death and hell. Um, I remember when I was 16 years old, I remember I had a really bad accident in front of my face. I, f I f fell over the handlebars on my bike. I can laugh about it now many, many years later. And I knocked out most of my front teeth and my face was pretty much pretty smashed up. Um, I was looking back, I was blessed. Didn't have any brain damage. I didn't have anything else like that. But, you know, when you're, you're, you're 16 years old and you're going through, I don't know, five years of pretty intense dental treatment and it feels like you're being tortured, um, you're, you're pretty ticked off. You're pretty ticked off. Um, and who do you blame? You blame God. And this is a common theme in a lot of things. Something bad happens and boom, boom, boom. Um... I'm going to take it out on God. And that's kind of where it goes. It's anger with God. It, it's even, it's even a, a stronger expression of it than you normally see. Of the baselessness of what it was that I did believe. Now, that's not necessarily to say that the Catholicism to which I ostensibly subscribed is baseless, but that my reasons for subscribing it uh, to it were baseless. And I think that's a product... Uh, of bad teaching, or, or at least in the same way that Bishop Barron describes our religious education was similarly uh, kind of like doing PE or something. I don't want to be stopping every five seconds. I know I always say that, but something very similar to myself. I was challenged on my, my Catholic faith. I was 18 years old. I remember I was in kind of a, some, it was kind of a school, long and short of it, it was kind of a school in between, you know, high school, you, you guys in America have, you know, they have even call a high school up here in Northern Ireland. Um, secondary school, we call it in the Republic of Ireland, where I'm from. Um, and in between that and university level or college level or whatever, there's this kind of school. It's kind of, um, I don't know, it's, it's to help you repeat things and do a different school. Very, very good school. But I remember, I remember being out there and he was an atheist and he challenged me in my faith and... I was like, I don't know if I believe this. And that started a whole pattern of, I, I knew I couldn't defend it intellectually. No, a lot of it was just purely to do with my ignorance. And um, a lot of it is to do with bad teaching. But when I, when I did finally get saved and I was 24 years old, I realized God was real. And not only that, that he was good, that he's righteous, that he was holy. And repented and turned to him at that same time. 
I don't want to be dealing with it again because we've dealt a lot with Roman Catholicism last week, but that Roman Catholicism, a couple of days later, I realized Roman Catholicism wasn't what was in the Bible. Um, and part of my rejection of all religion, because I, I thought, well, Roman Catholicism doesn't really seem to have any answers. Here's the thing, Roman Catholicism is not the scriptures. And when I was in that phase, when I was saying, oh, there's no God, and it's all ridiculous, so I had never read the Bible. So if you're a professing atheist and you're listening to this, have you read the scriptures? Have you read the scriptures? Do you... There was... A question, I think it was, it was a YouTube video I saw... And it was the program, you know, who wants to be a millionaire? And the question was, it was a Bible, well, Bible question. It, it was a question for $125,000. It was the American version. And in that, the, the, you know, it was, the question was, name the, the one that wasn't monotheistic. And you had... Islam, Christianity, Judaism, and um, Hinduism. Such an easy question. And this is from 10, 15 years ago. And if you see the questions asked about the Bible in quizzes, they're so obvious. My point is this. The biblical illiteracy in academia, smart people, this guy was a smart guy who was answering these questions, is astonishing. And our culture doesn't know anything about God anymore. It hasn't a clue about the scriptures. Something that was just one of these classes you did. Nobody took it particularly seriously. And so it was very easy to brush it off. Uh, but the thought that I had was, why is it that I believe this? Where does this come from? And I, and I suddenly realized that there was nothing there. So it wasn't a process of me saying, I'm now going to say this was false, but a process of me saying, okay, let me find out what it is that underlies this worldview. And let me see if I can work my way back to where I was. And quite often when you mean nothing is there, Roman Catholicism didn't really have the answers. Again, very similar to my own experience with that. We're going to have to skip ahead because I'm going to try and get through a lot of this here. Skipping ahead to the 23rd minute. Um, I mean, was it 20? Oh no, 25 and a half minutes. Sorry, wrong part. All right, so um, this is really dealing with um, how, really, the evidence for God is all around us in creation. And what I mean by all around us in creation, give me an illustration, very, very typical illustration. You find a book, you find a book in the middle of a desert island. You, you don't need to be convinced that somebody wrote it, that somebody designed it. it it's not necessary. Uh, you find a painting. One of the illustrations I'll use with my girls sometimes, I'll say, what if I told you the painting made itself? And they start laughing. Well, that's ridiculous. And then I show them a picture of the globe. And I'll say, you know, what if I said that the earth created itself? Oh, they start laughing because it's ridiculous. You almost have to be taught these things in order to reject what's in front of you. You know. You find something, you find a page with information, you find our, our DNA code in our genetics, you find 
the way the stars, the way the way the universe is designed and arranged to support life. And you see that there's a creator, a, a good creator, one of justice and order. These things you can tell by natural revelation. This is what I mean by the evidence is all around us. Thing than an active thing. It's more just saying, listen, I'm not the one who has to do the explaining here. I'm perfectly content to say that our knowledge will continually expand and with it so will the frontiers. If somebody else comes along and claims that they have the answer, that they have the thing that kind of, that, that, that cuts off that progress and says, we've, we've found the answer, we know what's at the base of all reality, to say that you have the answer doesn't mean that you stop learning. <laughs> In fact, we will forever, we will forever be in amazement, in awe of God and be learning about him. We can never know God exhaustively. When I first became a Christian, I knew very little about God. And I know more today than I did back in two, March of 2009 when I became, when the Lord saved me. But I don't know everything about God. I've, I feel like, I still feel like I've only barely begun. There's so much to find out about God. So far from being something that will just end all endeavor even into God's creation, there's loads of things because of that structure, because you know the foundation of that structure, God is the creator. You can then go into his creation, which has structure and rules and, and, and purpose. Then you can go study these things because they have meaning. And if they don't have meaning, well, it's kind of pointless and everything's pointless. Everything's meaningless. Everything's just a puff of smoke in this life. It's but a tragedy, it's going to end soon, and you're just a cosmic accident. Then they better have some good evidence for it. And there are plenty of, ev uh, pl plenty of evidences that are put forward and many arguments that are made, such as the contingency argument, which I've discussed on your show in, in, uh, in, in more detail before, Justin, with Cameron Batuzzi, of course. Um, the, th the thing about it is that my job as an atheist is essentially to pick holes rather than to necessarily present an argument to say why it's false. It's more of an undercutting uh, approach than a rebutting approach is what I like to use. Um, um, yeah, because the atheist never has to, but he's on a mission. Look, and again, I picked this for one reason. I, I don't pick a lot of the other atheist things because he comes across compared to a lot of atheists online as a very respectful young man and it, from his world is trying to be as balanced as possible. Obviously, he's got a major blind spot. Obviously, he's suppressing the truth and the righteousness, but um, far more respectful than many you would find. And there's a lot of atheist programs that are just embarrassing, juvenile full of language and cursing and everything else like that. And there's, eh, there's very, very little to respond to. He seems, from the little I've heard of him, 
that he's really thought a lot of these things through. Blind, obviously, in certain areas. Don't get me wrong. But, so when I'm going through this, again and again and again, I say this, because, and here's why I'm saying this. I know some p p people <laughs> probably be on me, just give him a walloping, you know, atheism so stupid and all that kind of stuff. I was listening to a program today, um, a, a testimony. It was a person who, who converted from Mormonism to Christianity. Different situation, I know. But it was, I remember it was the... The guy giving his testimony in this program was saying that the thing that made a difference to him was it wasn't the person just getting angry with him and saying you're in a cult and all this kind of stuff. It was the person who sat down with him and had kind of respect for him and showed him slowly through the scriptures and came across gentle. There's times for strong rebuke. I'm not denying that. I'm not disputing that at all. But when you get somebody like this who's willing to have a conversation and you might know somebody, you might even have a friend who's just like this Alex person here, be as patient as you possibly can. Um, it, it can be hard sometimes. I think as Christians, you got to draw, draw the line too at some, sometimes. I'll give you an example where, and it was hard, I'll be honest. It was really, really hard to do. Um, guy I was close friends with, he was a, an atheist and... Well, just kind of, you know, you fall out of contact with people over the years, you know, you people you go to college with and things like that. But when you've got people who are trying to lead you away from the Lord, trying to lead you back into your old lifestyle, I don't think he would have seen it like that. We have to share the truth, do our best, try to be as patient with people and gentle people, but at the same time, not be drawn into sin ourselves. And that's when you perhaps need to be careful, especially if it's people from your past or anything like that, if you've been saved out of these things and all this kind of stuff. Um, with contingency, when I was on your show before, uh, there's an assumption, for instance, that contingent things exist, um, which... Look, I'm not going to get into the philosophical debates. I'd be here all night. Um, this is... Look... My point of this thing today, you could produce all the evidence you like. They're not interested. They haven't seen it around them. There's nothing to present to them. Just the question of, it's like getting a spotlight. And again, I'm not against the, the classic reformed, you know, I don't even like saying evidence for God because it's like shining a spotlight on something. Look around you. The heavens declare the glory of God. Um, then you have to ask yourself, what? I'm going to skip ahead now to 34 minutes and 30 seconds into this program. This is special. I'm giving the timestamps, especially for those people who are listening to the program and just the audio part of the program. Yes, there's a video part of the program. You might have been listening to this program for a while. And you have no idea that there's actually a video uh, version of this program. You can find that at Megiddo Radio com forward slash live every Tuesday, probably nine o'clock from now on, because that seems to be the time that works better, uh, or on YouTube. Uh, a non-naturalistic framework into the way I investigate the world, if it turns out that uh, there is some reason to think that, that that does exist in the universe. But if you see what I'm saying, whilst I, I wouldn't assert that I'm a naturalist in the sense that I believe that 
that's all that there is in the universe, I may employ it methodologically speaking. Um, I would also say, just to respond to what Bishop Barron, Barron said a moment ago, um, because I, I think it, it's beautifully put, and one of the things that a, a lot of people misunderstand about causation is that there are, there are, there are two, two types of causation that can be at play here. When we were talking about causation on your show, Justin, we were talking about causation in the latter sense that Bishop Barron mentioned, like, uh, I was caused by my parents, my parents caused by their parents. Uh, but as, you, as, as Bishop Barron implies, there is another type of causation, which is a more kind of simultaneous causation. Okay, we're getting we're getting to the point now. Um, I'm not going to be really spending a lot of time with the the philosophical arguments he's bringing forward, but I want to look at what does he classify as evidence. It's going to come up now in a second. The thing about parentage is that if my parents cause me, if my parents then then go away, then die or whatever, I'm still here, right? But there's another kind of causation, this kind of uh, hierarchical causation, as Ed Fazer describes it which is uh, the kind of causation that says that the laptop I'm speaking to you on is being held up by a table and the table is being held up by the ground. Now, if you, if you, if you get rid of the table, the computer doesn't stay where it is, right? The computer being caused to be where it is as it is, is being caused by the table, but not in such a way like with my parents, where if you took it away, it then disappeared. Uh, it, it, would, it would still be here. But rather, if you take that away, it completely disappears. The interesting implication of this is that when we talk about a cause and a cause and a cause and a cause and a chain of causation, that's not what we should be describing. Because the intermediate steps actually have no causal power of their own, right? The table only has causal power to hold up the computer insofar as the ground gives it that causal power. Because if the ground takes that away, the table doesn't have that causal power on its own. And so the very language that we speak about these things in, when we say, well, actually, there's this kind of causation which works hierarchically speaking, right? I'm not sure that that's entirely accurate because of the fact that we're not really talking about causes here. We're kind of talking about an intermediary stage of things which don't have any causal power of their own accord. The crucial question there is then, what gives this entire chain of contingent things its causal power as one block? That's the question that needs to be discussed. And the Christian says that it's God. Uh, the atheist might say that it's the necessity of the chain itself, or perhaps the necessity of the universe. Or uh, okay, the atheist might say the necessity of the chain itself. Um, well, I, I necessarily need food on the table. It doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be. It, it, that's not an answer for it. Where does it come from? Thing like that. But talking about causation in that manner, I think, is uh, ill-advised. But I would recommend to people who are who are listening, who want an accessible version to understand this kind of causation. Okay. I guess what I'm pointing out here is this, right? It, it, it wouldn't matter with somebody who's arguing around and around and meandering and things like that. Um, what's a cause that we know, again, you don't have to have a philosophical debate on this. There's no evidence that is sufficient for the atheist who is a slave of sin. And he's fighting against it. I want to look at one text, one text really briefly, just to give you an idea how, you know, evidence for the God of Scripture. So Isaiah 46, verses 9 to 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient things 
that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east. The man who executes my counsel from a far country, indeed I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have proposed it. I will also do it. So, God is the one. He, he announces it beforehand. He declares the end from the beginning, so that when it comes to pass, you see that he is the true God, as opposed to all the false idols of the nation. They All the nations around them had these idols. Why? Because they thought that these idols, foolishly of course, were doing this, that they were bringing them good crops or whatever the case may be. They knew something caused it. We all know that something causes something. There's a reason why something comes about. And we can go to the most logical one or we can go to the most illogical ones. And, you know, when you when you want to attribute it to... Look, the atheist almost, when he goes down this rabbit trail, almost ends up, not just almost ends up, many times ends up deconstructing language. Oh, we've got a problem with causation. We've got a, well, it's obvious something caused it. Well, how do we... Then you have a big dung discussion about causing and all this kind of stuff. And what do you mean by that? And then you kind of go, what has that got to do with anything? You just, you still have the problem of you don't know what caused the world to exist as it is. Isn't the kind apparent in the Kalam cosmological argument, you know, a cause before an effect kind of thing, but this different, slightly less intuitive form of causation? Yeah, but you know that it's there. It would take too much time to go and go through, but you know that something sustains the whole illustration with the table. You know that something causes something to be. We we just know this. We see we, we see tons of examples. You see a ball kicking down the road. There had to be a force that either kicked it or or headed it or whatever the case may be. Um, if you see a car rolling down the hill, you know that mm, it. it What's causing it? Is it gravity causing it? Somebody forgot to pull up their handbrake or whatever. Something is causing it. There's a force causing it. Now, we're not saying that there's a force is the first cause and all this kind of stuff. But, without God, look, even the eighth, the, 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 the pagan philosophers in Paul's day, in Acts 17, on Mars Hill, Paul quotes them as saying, in him we move and we have our being. They knew that all life depended on this God of whom they were ignorant of. They were ignorant of this God, but they knew that all life depended on him. He knows that there's a cause that he doesn't know about. He's ignorant of. There must be something causing this. There must be something sustaining this. There must be something moving this forward. And this is the God of whom he's ignorant. And it all comes back to the same thing. Rejecting the answer you don't want. So you end up kind of going around in circles. Now, um, let's skip ahead. Now, we're going to have to skip ahead a good bit just to get to a major point that made me want to cover and respond to Alex here. And again, hopefully it's a, of benefit to you. And hopefully 
well, ultimately, I hope, I hope that some atheist out there may be helped by this. This is not about point scoring. And if, if in my sinful heart that I've come across that way, I pray that you'll forgive me. And I pray that you will see the, the, ne- the necessity of trusting in Christ, irrespective of the poor way I put it forward. Because what will matter in a hundred years' time is where you will spend eternity. And it's amazing. You don't see it as much in in Alex here, but it's amazing how much the hatred of a God, they don't even believe exists, apparently, that the atheist has. The hatred that they have, but anyway. So this is 58 minutes and 30 seconds into this program. And it's going to, we're going to be talking about COVID and um, the morality of all that. And uh, let's, let's play it. And somebody's allowing it to occur. If we're going to assert that there is a benevolent being who is allowing this to occur, then it must follow that there is morally sufficient reason for this to occur. In the United Kingdom, just today, we passed 100,000 people who've been, di- who, who've been killed by the virus. And the Christian has to say that this is morally justified. And they're welcome to do so with reference. Okay, so the Christian has to say it is morally justified. Anything God does, because he is righteous, just, and holy, is righteous, just, and holy. But why, why do people get angry if bad things happen to just say the, the number of deaths there, over 100,000 deaths, whatever the number is in the UK, I don't keep up with the statistics uh, anymore at all. Um, but, and it's, it's sad. Of course it is. Death is described in the Bible as an enemy. But why is there death and suffering in the world? Is it happening to good people? No. I think it was R.C. Sproul said, you know, what, you know, he was asked the question. He's probably asked the probably he was probably asked the question a lot. Why do good? Why do bad things happen to good people? And he said, well, that only happened once, and they crucified him. There's only ever been one good man who's walked upon the face of the earth who has obeyed the law of God. So you're not talking here about a hundred thousand good people dying. We are all, me included, by the way, in Adam. And you've got to consider, before you look at this question, who God is, he, he is righteous, he is holy, he, he hates sin, and then consider who we are. I'll give you an idea, um, Psalm 51. And this is written around the time of David's fall into sin. Um, He's convicted when Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, you are the man. And it, David, in repentance, writes this in verse 3, 
For I acknowledge my transgressions, my sin is always before me against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. And you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin, my mother conceived me. We have been born sinners. We are sinners because we're in Adam. That's our natural condition. So right from the beginning, it's not like, why do good, why do bad things happen to good people? That, that's why you get, why is it morally justifiable? Because you'd have to say that to argue this way, that man is good and he deserves only blessings from God. And that is a lie. It's not true. Man is not good. And every single breath, every single one of us get upon this, get upon this earth. Every, every beating of our heart is God's mercy and grace. The atheist who decides to curse and blaspheme God and reject him is given mercy and grace to, he, he's on this earth, by the way, the wrath of God abides in him. I'm not disputing that. But to continue on, fighting against God. God is long-suffering and patient. Now, that patience eventually will run out. There will come a day where there will be no more second chances. There will come a day where there is no possibility of repentance. And that is when the final judgment has been carried out and the person, the sinner, the criminal, will be cast into hell for all eternity. And that does not happen to good people. That happens to bad people. The Christian is not somebody who says, I'm fantastic. The, 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 the Christian is the person who says, I am a horrible wretch. I deserve hell. I deserve wrath. I deserve damnation. But I have trusted in Christ. He has become my righteousness. He is now called the Lord, our righteousness that's in was in jeremiah 23 i think it's verse 6 his righteousness his perfect life the payment for he's washed away our sin but his perfect life that righteousness has been imputed to my account so based on the merits of christ we have blessings based on his merits and his merits alone because what we all deserve is death. For in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. Every single last one of us deserve, if we're going on our own works, deserve and are going to hell. But if we trust in Jesus Christ, it's based upon his perfect work. To theodicies by saying that you know, this is pain. People like to speak kind of abstractly about how pain and suffering might be necessary to obtain certain goods, or it'll all be compensated in the afterlife, or something of this sort. But we have to say specific. Uh, yeah, I, I, and it's frustrating. I I understand his frustration. Actually, some arguments they're given are terrible. They're, we talked about an abstract, and you know that's more karma. <laughs> you know, you suffer more in this life, you'll have a great no. You may suffer all the way throughout this life, and if you have 
if you're not wrapped in the righteousness of Christ, you'll suffer far more in the world to come. Again, you have to base it on what do we, what do I, what do you, listening here today, deserve? On an issue like this, that yes, this specifically, 100,000 people who have died of COVID have done so because God allowed it. That's the first thing that needs to be admitted by the Christian. And most Christians have no problem accepting that. The difficulty comes in, in the second proposition, which is that it's justified. This needs to happen, or this should have happened, or at least there's no kind of uh, moral qualm with this having been allowed to happen. That's the problem. Okay. Now, there's two things I want to do here. I want to talk about the moral qualm. How can you have a moral qualm if there's no God? How? Where, where does morality come from, if not from the Creator? So, it's amazing how the atheist, when he wants to get annoyed with God, will, will ascribe to some moral code of which the Creator apparently is broken. Because the atheist really is judging God according to his own moral standard, and really has said to him that he is judging God and really declaring himself to be God. The unbeliever, regardless of what it is, is a usurper. Is a usurper, and it, obviously he's going to fail, and it's, it's ridiculous, etc., and so on, but is... It's, it, it's an attempt to rob God of his throne. A futile attempt, attempt that'll never work, but an attempt on, nonetheless. Um, there's a question, really good question. Sorry it took me so long to get into it. I'm just going to pause here. Uh, we'll get back to it in a second. I just want to answer this question really, really quickly. Um, this is in the chat room. Hello, brother. How do you think we should engage with those who are secular? Is there a method of defending the faith that is more faithful to the scriptures and effective in reaching them? It, it really just depends, right? It really just depends. Um, I, I am not presuppositional when it comes to apologetics, right? A lot of my friends are respected, but to be honest, prior to... Van Til, Cornelius Van Til, there wasn't much of it, which, which is basically like, well, you can't start from creation in your apologetic. Whereas I think you can, but I think it depends on the person. You don't need to go there. There might be times, and, I, and I've had times when I have been on, you know, witnessing to people and we start from creation sometimes, but, you know, a lot of times the best thing to do is bring them to the law of God. It depends, it very much depends on the conversation. There's not one way of reaching out to a quote unquote secular person because the secular person, the person who is an atheist or an agnostic or whatever knows because they're created in God's image that there's a God and they know enough about him to condemn them. So unless they're really pushing the issue, you don't really have to start with nature and then work out from that. Again, Francis Turton is probably the best at laying it out. But I, I think the thing that we need to do is, because in our cultures, there is, there's a fair element of 
Christianity. We're not going to a place that's never ever heard of the Old Testament or New Testament. So a lot of the time, try to share the truth with them from the scriptures. See what objections come up. And don't put yourself under crazy pressure either. I don't have all the answers. People ask me questions, and I'm like, I never thought of that before. Some questions really shouldn't be answered because they're kind of, you know, you'll end up on absurd directions. Try to keep it focused upon what is good, what is evil even. How do we know what is good? How do we know what is evil? How do we know what the moral standard is to determine whether... You know, Alex is saying is right or wrong. Because if that's the case, it's anarchy. We all have set up our moral standards. So try and meet the person where they're at. And take them from where they're at to the Lord Jesus Christ through the scriptures. If you're in a more if you're in certain places where they've had a lot of the Bible and maybe some exposure to the Bible, perhaps you can go straight to the scriptures and showing them, perhaps from the Old Testament of the Messiah who would come. Maybe you go to Isaiah 53 or something like that. and Or you talk about the law of God as a you know, start of First Timothy or something like that. There's not just one way to do it. But because the evidence is all around us, and what they're doing is so foolish, the Bible, in a sense, in a sense, does not need defending. Again, I'm not against the classic apologetic approach. I'm not. I'm actually a big fan of it. I like it. But there's a sense in which you don't have to defend, you know, that old quotation, I think it was from Spurgeon, you don't have to defend a lion, just let him out of the cage. There's a certain sense in which I agree with that. Share the truth. And when you spend so much time alone with the Lord, that when you, you so want to talk about him, a lot of it, it comes down to our, our own private devotions. And often our, our, our witness struggles because we have spent little time alone with the Lord and little time in prayer. And so we give in to fear, man, when we're out there. So hope that answers your question. Um, meet them where they're at. Bring them to Christ. F- ask them questions. Ask them questions. Um, how do you know what is right and wrong? You know, maybe maybe they bring up something at work or something like that, and you ask them a question. You say, oh, that's horrible that they did that. Um, or, you know, they t- something in a religious context, and you say, well, how do you know that it's horrible? Because you don't believe in God, do you? But just like, what standard? Maybe you could, you know, it takes wisdom. Maybe that wouldn't be the smartest thing to say in that context. Um, Sometimes it's to ask them questions. Because the atheist really doesn't have any answers. And as as Alex mentioned earlier. Okay, so let's skip ahead here a tiny bit. Um, actually, no, we'll keep going with this, actually. No, 
that's the problem that needs and, to be fixed. And 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 can I just from you, Alex, just understand? Is this a major reason why you don't believe in God? I.e., the problem of evil is for you a major objection to God. Yeah, call it not an active cause of my atheism, but a sustaining cause. It wasn't the reason why I left the faith originally, but it's one of the reasons that uh, prevents me from from re-entertaining. And he's being honest. He hates God. The Retitle the problem of evil. Alex is basically saying, like, like I did years ago, right? I think that God was wrong to do this for this these deaths and... Why is there evil in the world? Why do bad things happen and all this kind of stuff? You're basically saying God is wrong and you don't like him. You basically hate him. And that's the reason for you. Well, I hate him. Therefore, he doesn't exist. This is, you know, the this is the suppression. It's a bit like, you know, those people who say, um, oh, I don't know, just say they have a bad relationship with their parents or something like that. And... I don't know anybody's ever said this to me, but I think I saw on a program years ago, you know, you see people who maybe say someone is dead in their family and they go, well, I met them the other day. Yeah, but they're, they, they almost act like they're dead to them because they hate them. You know, you know, if somebody has probably a better example, maybe like a father and a son and the son has become such an embarrassment to his father and you might see it in movies again. I've never seen an example like this in real life, but you know, the son comes back and the father's so ashamed of me. He says, you're not, you know, you're no longer my son. My son is dead. <laughs> you know, those classical scenes. He was like, why? Cause he's suppressing that truth. The kid is still his son. He's pretending that he's dead. He's pretending that he doesn't exist. Why? Cause it's much more convenient. It's, it's, it helps. It's less painful. If somebody hurts you from the past, some people we, you know, you block out of your memory. I'm not saying we should do that or anything, but that's, that's how we are. And this is what unrighteously the atheist is doing. The, the atheist is fighting against the one he hates. This is what's so sad about it because, yeah. The, the, the idea. I mean, as, as we've discussed, there are plenty of seemingly plausible arguments to say that there's a necessary being at the bottom of contingent chains in the universe, that there's a, a, a being who sustains things, that there's an arbitrary first cause or something like this. But to say that this first cause is a loving God who will preside over the kind of suffering that we've seen, not just in the human context of something like the coronavirus, but also the hundreds of billions and trillions, if you include sea life, of animals who are going through suffering that we... He's just acknowledged that there's kind of evidence for God. Kind of did it. And then, but to say that there's a good... See, this is... And this reminds me of me. This is the reason I was an atheist. Do you know the thing that broke me the night I got saved? And I wept like a baby at the end of my bed. That God was good. That God was good. Because it's easy to rebel against one you think is evil. God is good. And when I saw that, I felt horrible. I felt horrible. 
And it changed the way I looked at God. And that's when I repented. And the only words that could come in my mouth was that half an hour I was crying my eyes out was I'm sorry. It was the only thing I could, I was just absolutely distraught. I was at the end of myself. I was physically, mentally exhausted. And I was just fed up of fighting against him. And it's kind of coming. What I, there's one thing I like about Alex. He's being pretty honest. So pray for him. Keep him in your prayers. The Lord can save this young man. Help him to help atheists or agnostics, whatever they want to call themselves, like pray for these kind of people that they would see that God is good. That he is altogether lovely. That he is the fountain of living water. That he satisfies your hunger. That he is wonderful. And things that people search for, the things that people try to find contentment in, it's just like gravel in your mouth. It's just like drinking seawater when you're trying to quench your thirst. It does nothing. That is the world. And that is much intellectual pursuit. Pray for this young man. Even be capable of imagining there seems to be no explanation for this. Okay. So this is a huge question that we're trying to, you know, <laughs> we're sum taking up on the, the small questions here. today. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Where, where, where? Now, another frustration I have with Bishop Byrne is for a Christian. Now, Robert Byrne is not a Christian. For a Christian, the answer is obvious. For anybody who knows the, the Bible, why is there suffering? Because men rebelled and there's been a curse ever since Genesis chapter 3. There's been a curse on the earth, even, and the, we'll be the, the earth itself will be delivered from that curse in the new earth. In the renewed earth, the new heavens and the new earth, the curse will be removed at that point. God never promised us to not go through suffering. Actually, he promised that we would. Are you going to begin with this, uh, Bishop Barron? Well, how about with Aquinas, you know, in the, in the Summa, when he poses the question, Utrum Deus it, is there a God? And Aquinas famously puts up objections first, right? Well, two of them we've talked about. One is that nature is a self-contained system. There's no need to... Okay, for the sake of time, I'm going to have to skip ahead here. This is Robert Barnes speaking here. Uh, I think it's one minute, one hour and four. Um, he never really deals with the fall on this. Being. Sure, I get it. I totally... What's happening is because it's worth it. And someone asks you, well, what on earth for? What on earth is this worth it for? A hundred thousand people. Why couldn't it be... Of course, it's not. Uh, Sorry, I had the wrong timestamp there. This is one minute and f one hour and five minutes into it. it. It doesn't need to be framed in a logical, uh, in a logical way. Of course, the logical problem of evil has been famously made by a number of atheists, but this can also just be seen as an inductive point, right? Because what's being said here, in in many elegant words, I believe, uh, is essentially in the context of the coronavirus, which is how you originally brought this up, Justin, is is the claim that it's worth it. We don't know what for. 
but it's worth it. You know, 100,000 people have been killed by this virus, which, you know, if it is the case that some good was necessitated by the death of these people, humanity seemed to have been getting on just fine for around 200,000 years before the coronavirus appeared on the scene. I don't Are you kidding me? I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't know if he's being sarcastic. Have you ever heard of the bubonic plague? Have you ever heard of the Black Death in Europe, which killed, I don't know what percentage, was it a third of the European population? Coronavirus is the most milk toast excuse for a plague we've ever seen, probably in human history. I don't know if that is, but come on, come on. Uh, the 1918 Spanish flu. I, I don't mean to be ranting here, but come on. There's been, for throughout the centuries, there's been loads and loads of deadly, horrible plagues, much worse than coronavirus. Just wanted to quick, quickly correct that one why now all of a sudden it's now necessary to bring in this new virus to produce some good that everybody else seemed to do without. And you have to turn around and say that the reason this is happening is because it's worth it. And someone asks you, well, what on earth for? What on earth is this worth it for? A hundred thousand people. Why couldn't it be, why couldn't it be 9,999? Why couldn't one person have been spared? Why, why should anybody be spared? See, the wrong question's being asked here. The question is not, why did 100,000 die? The question is, why would God, was God long-suffering toward all those people, billions of people around the world who reject him, are in rebellion against him, and he still continues to allow them to remain on this earth. He's give them food, rain, everything else, shelter, sunshine, all these kind of things. They still reject him. And they, you know, this is, this is humanity. We want more. We want more. God has given you everything. You see, the atheists will only acknowledge, oh, well, God has brought the, you know, bad stuff, not the good stuff. So when you wake up in the morning and you have your breakfast and, and food comes to your table, that's got nothing to do with God in the atheist mind. But it has. If you're going to get angry at him for that, are you thankful for for the food and the roof over your head? Are you ha are you thankful to God for the breath entering into your lungs? Are you happy you've got arms? Not everybody on earth has got arms. Are you happy you've got a functioning mind? Are you are you are you thankful to God for your memory? Are you thankful to God that you don't have you know, you see older people have early onset, you know, dementia and things like that, Alzheimer's and things that makes you thankful for your memory. But no. There's no thankfulness there. If imagine imagine a scenario, you get a parent and a child, and the child only brings up the the, the stuff that goes wrong. Oh, the, the food was too hot. Or um, not the way you like it and everything else like that. And the, the child never said thank you. You would say that that child was spoilt. But the atheist is like, rings a little ding, 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 ding. I want a God after my own imagination to do my bidding. And if I don't, I will hate him. The problem is not with God. God is good, God is holy, God is righteous and just. The fallen man, 
spiritually is a perpetual spoilt brat. And we have so many reasons to thank God. Every single last one of us have reasons to thank God, especially the Christian who has salvation in Jesus Christ. And if you don't have salvation in Jesus Christ, if, if there's somebody listening to this, well, I think we'll, we'll end it here, realize that death is an enemy. Death is not a good thing, but death came in because of sin. And you have no right to say that is, oh, that is, that's not right. I didn't, I didn't sin. Adam sinned. That was because of somebody else. But you have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I pray that this has been some blessing to you all. Um, Lord willing, we'll be back again next Tuesday. We'll, we'll, we'll aim for 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. That seems to work well. UK time. And uh, you can kind of figure out where that is in your time zone around the world. Please pray for this. Play, uh, play. Pray for Alex O'Connor. Pray that the Lord would open his heart and give him a new nature. It's been Paul Flynn. Thank you so much for listening in. May God bless you all.